people that come to our digital stewardship training, especially the young people, they probably walk out of there with a stronger sense of how to use it and how to use it responsibly and what the effects potentially could be if, if you're not really paying attention to it. And, and that's all we can hope for. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today, I'm speaking with Danny Peralta, who is the Executive Managing Director at The Point in the Bronx, in New York City, in New York. <laughs> Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. And I, and I, and I got to say, man, I, I, one of the things I always love talking about you is I love the accent. You know, I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and like, I, love, I love all these East Coast pocket accents that you, you get around. So um, it's always a joy to speak with you. All right. Well, likewise, man. You got you got that 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 upper Midwest thing going on too, man. I, now I'm, I do. I'm, yeah, it took a while. <laughs> I still don't say Minnesota. That's uh, that's one of the the telltale ones. <laughs> I love that. I'm, I'm gonna use that one. I'm gonna use that one next time I'm up there. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> tell me. So tell me. You're you're at the point. Uh, yes, what is the point? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So again, you know, I'm broadcasting live from from South Bronx, New York City. Uh, the Hunts Point, um, well, excuse me, the Point Community Development Corporation, I should say, is a community-based uh, organization that's been around now for 27 years. And we really have been at the forefront of hoping to revitalize uh, that community of Hunts Point in the South Bronx. And we do it primarily with youth development, a lot of arts and cultural work, and then we do a lot of policy work, behind-the-scenes environmental justice work as well. Uh, always working with our residents, young people, and, and, our, and our partners, honestly, to achieve uh, an interesting end. A new end for our community. Let's say that. Awesome. Then we're gonna we're gonna talk more about a little bit of the history of the community and all the different things you do uh, after we we sort of touch on broadband. So people who listen to the show have a sense of of why uh, we're pulling you into this <laughs> today. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so so tell me about what you're doing, particularly in, in broadband uh, at the at the point. Sure. Um, so again, I'm, uh, we're very fortunate that we've been able to be, I guess, entrusted with this project to, to lead a community network. And in 2015, 2014, uh, we entered into this uh, thing called the South Bronx Community Resiliency Agenda. And it was really this plan to kind of protect our community from uh, the climate change that was coming, right? Uh, you know, we are a waterfront community. And essentially, you know, we were trying to, like I said, protect it from the heat and potential water surges we saw. Uh, then Maria came, uh, the hurricane came, obviously created a, a lot of havoc in our community and similar communities. And there was one uh, neighborhood uh, one project that uh, that that remained, uh, I guess, resilient through the storm, which right, is in stayed up. Exactly. Yep. And and there was a, a community communication that was, excuse me, uh, in Red Hook uh, by Red Hook Initiative that actually provided communication for like weeks after there was no uh, ability to do so in the neighborhood. All the infrastructure was was uh, was destroyed by the saltwater. So essentially. You know, we learned from that. And, and the idea was, you know what, how do we adapt that in Hunts Point? And again, we were very uh, fortunate to be entrusted with this project by New America and the Hunts Point EDC. Uh, and essentially, we were able to start to build out a community network, which we thought initially was just for small businesses. And in the last three or four years, as you go, really to kind of offer Internet and a, and a reliable uh, link for that, for that matter, for, you know, several thousand people a month, uh, totally for free at this point. Uh, 100% stewarded by uh, the young people and some of the community members uh, with the idea that, again, we train the, the neighbors uh, to manage it, uh, to maintain it, and to continue to, to build off of what, what we've done so far. 
Uh, at this point, like I said, we maybe service a couple thousand people a month, depending on what you consider service, right? Mm-hmm. Is it this free and, and people just tap into it? Uh, primarily, we're noticing on mobile devices. That's like a big thing. People are maybe in transit. You have a lot of workers that come in industrial neighborhood. So again, we're offering these amenities. And at the same time, you know, it makes us think about, you know, all these other pieces, that, again, that we rely on, right? You talked about self-reliance, right? Like, where's the ownership of, these, of this infrastructure? And how do we not only own it at some point, how do we kind of use it in a way that is most practical and most useful for our community and not just, um, you know, because we have to use it or because it's there, you know, uh, really, again, thinking about emergency communication for all communities, right? Emergency uh, drills, plans, you know, ways to kind of get people socially together with this virtual tool that sometimes tends to divide us, especially in our community, right? Sometimes, you know, uh, the internet divide is real. A lot of people do not have access to it and obviously that means less access to jobs and opportunities and when people do have access to it again the literacy around how people use the internet and what we use it for is kind of shot as well and again we you know i find for example uh some of the the beef that young people have is sometimes spurred by a, let's say a comment on a, on a on a social media tweet you know mm-hmm. um, i mean we heard about the stuff that happens with facebook uh you know some of their instagram research where you know young women are having like really poor senses of their bodies, right? Like all this stuff is playing out in real time in our community and it's having, you know, and it's exacerbating uh, health, you know, issues that we've already had, um, you know, so I'll stop that. But th- this is really a, a network again that hopefully brings people together and offers them opportunities that, again, that are, that are radically new for our community, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of things to pull out there, but uh, I want to make sure that people sort of got one of the, one of the things that led you to going down this path. And that is hurricane comes, uh, Verizon, national company, Charter, Spectrum, national company, Altice, global company. Um, you know, these massive networks, they all fall apart and, and basically collapse in, in a lot of neighborhoods. And this Red Hook initiative, which is mostly run by volunteers and, and that sort of a thing, um, you know, run by the community, uh, that stays up and people are able to use it. Um, you know, to make sure that they're well connected. Um, so that's, that's pretty amazing. So then you're looking at that and, and the point is looking at that and saying, well, we should do something like that. Now, you know, you're not charging people for access. Uh, how does it, how does it get started in terms of the, where's the money come from to get the equipment and things like to start the training? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially we were again funded by the EDC, which is the economic development corporation in Hunts Point. Uh, if you could imagine kind of Hunts Point being, the hub for a lot of the food that comes to the East Coast. So uh, we're like the second food, largest food market in the world, honestly. So the Hunts Point food market has a lot of energy, right? It sucks up a lot of energy, a lot of refrigeration. Uh, and that's where, again, the initial plans came. We thought there's going to be a big storm. This market is uh, below a sea level. It's going to flood. Um, there's no resilient energy. And that's kind of how we started thinking. Uh, but essentially what we learned is that there's a lot of different components to resiliency. One of them, obviously, again, being communication. And so... That's how we kind of entered into it. Uh, the EDC came to us. New America came to us and said, look, we want to develop a mesh network in this community. We don't have ties to this community. Um, and it has to be led by community members for us to get this funding. Would you be interested in doing that work? And we said, you know, we kind of thought about it. And we kind of said, you know, we can tie this back to our, our larger resiliency plan. And that's kind of how we got to it. Uh, you know, right now, the network, again, we do have to tap into the large uh, providers. Right, There's not that many in our community. We only have maybe access to maybe two. Um, so we tap into that. And then again, we, we, we broadcast that. So essentially, you know, we raise funds so that we can continue to do that. You know, a lot of the young people that are using it, again, are using it for school now. Obviously, we know during COVID, it's a, it's a huge need, right? Uh, 40% of our community 
doesn't have access to it. So being able to uh, look for the ability to sustain it, uh, hopefully create opportunities within it. You know, one of the things that the point has always done uh, since we started was that we were incubating small businesses, right? And to think about entrepreneurship or think again about social enterprise. And so we're hoping this is, this is a vehicle for that as well to hopefully lead it to some sort of sustainability. Uh, we also work in an amazing partnership. You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to shout out uh, the folks from CTNY, like Community Tech New York. Um, you know, some of those people that came that formerly came from uh, from New America. I mean, a, a amazing ability to to think about this work and try to draw resources to it um, and bring people together. You know, what we realize is that our community network is only as strong as, uh, you know, the network next to ours. And if the communities uh, next to ours can also have access to this type of technology and also build their own resilient networks uh, in case of an emergency, we can communicate with them. You know, these are the things that, you know, we work toward. And again, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to uh, sustain the network uh, so we can keep it going. But also with this idea that one of these days, we can start to actually own those lines. And we think about fiber, we think about infrastructure, right? Um, and how to kind of have a stake in that, not just to to watch it get built and then tap into it, but really be kind of at the root of it and and change those dynamics a little bit and and offer, you know, instead of some some funky fine print, offer some big large print about what the internet is 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 for and what you're signing on for when you get onto it. And that's the ultimate goal. Um, but essentially right now, again, we're tapping into uh, existing lines and using the networks that we have, again, we're really, it's, it's a mesh network. Right? All these beams are kind of talking to each other one after the other. And, and that's the idea is that uh, by, by not only putting it this infrastructure, we're also uh, training individuals, right? And like I mentioned, we have uh, the staff that runs it now. Uh, we have about four individuals and they're all community members. Again, all of them trained by us that are now leading the program. That replication of that kind of team in other communities, um, again, has has amazing ramifications for was possible, you know, our, our folks are able to, uh, if a node goes down, you know, service it within 24 hours. Uh, you know, they get a direct phone call from the individual who's, uh, you know, you're not on a waiting list, uh, you know, to get your service uh, fixed up. Um, they're working with populations, again, that are traditionally highly underserved, uh, seniors, uh, you know, living in senior centers that don't, uh, you know, have good access to the internet because of the way that the building lives, like, you know, bringing in nodes, uh, you know, booster nodes, you know, like, really kind to figure out how to augment even what exists now as a way to reach people. And again, seniors usually are the last ones to, uh, you know, get the service. We talk about the, the, the vibe between young people. Uh, there's a, even a bigger gap with, with seniors in our community. And, and being able, again, to, to offer, you know, that basic conversation, that basic amenity uh, where we can not only fix their internet and get them up on, on, online, but also develop a relationship in case there is an emergency, right? We can, we can go back and, and visit them. We can... Uh, tie them back to food services and and you know you know voting uh, you know that's a big deal right now we're like trying to make sure everybody votes all that kind of uh, engagement and and it, and, it, and it's all based on you know these people's desire initially to to tap into the internet and and again at least to other things and other ways for us to organize it really is an organizing tool for us it's not just like I said a way for people just to go online it is definitely that but we really try to infuse it with with education and like I said opportunities for employment. Uh, stewardship um, and, and creativity also, you know, hopefully some artists are tapping into it and, and making some interesting things uh, during this time, especially, you know? Yes. Now, 
this um the art the artwork I know is is always close to your heart and I want to make sure we we touch on that in a, in a minute but but first I want to give people a little bit of a more of a picture um yeah the people that live here there's not a lot of single family homes right like <laughs> this is yeah. this is a, a part of the Bronx that is heavily industrialized um I think you you probably face much higher rates of of uh, childhood asthma and pollution and, and challenges like that so this is a community um which has been uh, in many ways overlooked by the power structures right and is is sort of ignored and so you're you're trying to connect them with internet access but that's part of this larger mission of making sure that these people are able to make meaningful decisions in their lives and have really full happy lives right yeah and i think you mentioned some some stats right like we typically tend to be again especially when you're looking for like health outcomes we tend to be like at the bottom of all of those lists right if it's a good list we're at the bottom if it's a bad list we're at the top um, and again, that's a narrative that is not because people are not doing good work. You know, the point, a lot of our partners, again, people have, you know, generations of, of work uh, into this. Uh, you know, there's there's a larger, again, vision at play by how this neighborhood gets used. And again, because it is largely industrial, because there is a lot of food coming to it, and because it has been used traditionally also for waste management, like 40% of the city's waste comes here. If you could imagine a city like New York City, right? Millions of people, 40% of the waste coming into one uh, neighborhood, right? Uh, you're talking about, again, a food market, you know, 15, 20,000 diesel trucks uh, a day coming through. And then you're talking about also now the proliferation, honestly, of like last mile e-commerce uh, moving into our neighborhood. So now, as opposed to big uh, 18 wheelers, we have all of these smaller like sprinter kind of things <laughs> marked, right, that are just zooming by. Um, adding more traffic, um, you know, we're surrounded by highways. Again, if you kind of look at our neighborhood, you think, why would people live there? And how do they survive there? You know, how do they thrive there? What, what is it um, that happens? And, and one part of it is cultural, I think. You know, I think that, um, you know, stats are stats, right? People collect all kinds of data. If, if you ask me uh, per capita how many, let's say, stewards there are for the environment, I'm going to point to per capita, there's probably more, People that know how to work the land and grow food and Hunts Point in other neighborhoods in, in like, let's say New York City. I don't know. Like, you know, so the stats are always skewed. You know, we're acid based. So we really, again, we really dig deep into, you know, these cultural uh, uh, richness that we have around us. You know, the language, the way that the immigrants come from, uh, you know, their, their nations um, and they have these skills. Right. That, uh, for example, like our, our mesh network, the, the young man who engineers it, you know, he comes from a very rural place. Um, in, in Peru, um, you know, where they have no access to internet, you know, where the internet came just very recently to them. So they're solving real time problems uh, in their countries. They're coming here for, for opportunities and, and, and they're adding that to the work that we do. Um, you know, that type of level of tenacity, that, that like that, that urgency to, to, to see something done, to make something uh, where there's probably, you know, people don't see anything, you know. Um, and that's, that's really key kind of to the way that we've been approaching the work. But again, you know, it's, it's really how we define ourselves. We're, we're artists, you know, we're activists, we're organizers, uh, we're educators, uh, you know, we're, we're family, you know, members. Uh, you know, that's kind of how we talk about our work and, and really describe our community. Again, because that's kind of the cornerstones of where we work from. And people talk a lot about, you know, the green uh, movement and, you know, like urban farming. A lot of that, especially New York, was born in these kinds of communities, you know, uh, when people said, you know, we're going to take this part of land that was an abandoned building and we're going to you know, grow food. And that's the farming movement in New York, you know, uh, again, where there's no parks, you know, uh, you know, Hunts Point is a perfect example. There are uh, two waterfront parks that are less than 15 years old. 
Uh, so you can imagine a neighborhood, right, that's been there for generations, mm-hmm. has parks now that are less than 15 years old. That means that if you're, you know, 30 years old, you grew up half of your life without a park in your neighborhood. But that was built by the community, you know? That was people reclaiming land, brownfields, and saying, look, we're going to, we're gonna, uh, you know, get resources and put a park here, and we're going to get access to the waterfront, and we're going to, you know, learn how to canoe and swim so that we can actually be in the waterfront and be prepared for what happens for living in the waterfront, uh, which is something that... Typically, we're, we're not, you know, and and so these are the things that we kind of build off of. This is the energy that that we uh, utilize um, in our day to day work, and and that data might not show up anywhere, you know, in fancy reports, but it's really a springboard for for uh, for projects like these to survive and, and to thrive. I would say um, and continue to to have an impact, uh, you know, regardless if it's a huge, you know, impact, but like a day to day, like a real practical impact for a lot of people, you know. So tell me about uh, the role that art has played in this, because I, I, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people that haven't been around uh, different social movements, haven't read the history, might think of art as kind of like a nice to have, kind of like a thing that, that emerges when you have more afflu- affluence, right? Uh, but it, when we met at the Tribal Wireless Boot Camp earlier in the summer, um, you know, you were talking about some amazing art projects that have helped people to reclaim space, to make it safer, to have these other impacts in the, in the community. Definitely, yeah. You know, when you think about how a community, again, like Hunts Point operates, uh, you know, if you don't have the economics, you know, like you said, what what is art, you know? Uh, for us, especially, you know, culturally, like, we, we just kind of, uh, I don't know, the way you move, the way you talk, uh, the way you dress, is all tied to these cultural phenomenons. And if you think about, like, you know, the place of hip-hop, right, being born, let's say, in the Bronx, right, which is where people kind of talk about it, like, there's this, there's this thread where, People are constantly making things um, and they're always building on this, this world that's around them. Um, and, and that's kind of the spirit of it. And, and so that's the cultural movement that we kind of work with. You know, when you have, like I said, little maybe socioeconomics, um, but you're very creative and you can uh, maybe take a record and, and you know, and, and, and sample like a, a two second snippet and turn it into like a million dollar song. Like that's the spirit of it. And, and that's kind of how everything I would say springboards, you know, a lot of the, the self-esteem that we get. Um, I would say the place that you can meet people halfway oftentimes uh, is in these creative spaces, you know, is where people get to play and, and explore and and try things that uh Maybe are childish, but again, bring them back kind of to a space where they're they're vulnerable um, and they're creative and and they're kind of letting themselves their guards down and and they're using it for therapy and healing and and all these things are important to to why we do it. Beautification. I'm going to mention that a lot of the mural movements in our community. Again, it's about beautifying, right? Like spaces that are that are that are blightful, you know, that we don't want to look at anymore. And you you, you put a, a mural of of a local hero or you paint a sign that says, you know, I love my neighborhood, like. It has ramifications on on how people move and 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 how they respect the spaces and and where they're willing to steward, uh, and that's really the power of art. And and for myself, you know, if not for my artistic practice and and searching for an artistic voice, I wouldn't have found you know these movements that are tied to culture, but really are environmental and social and 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 use art to 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 make a claim and to yeah to make an ask, you know, uh, a plea, if you will, to the world to listen. Uh, you know, a call to action, if you will. And, and that's the space that, that, that art occupies at the point. And I would say in a lot of organizations similar to ours and, and individuals that we know in our community, you know. Now, do you remember when we talked about this, it came back to telecommunications in one way, because I feel like, I don't remember, maybe it was you or maybe it was someone else talked about inviting people 
to do art, um, to develop visual art on pieces of telecommunications in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember how that came up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, don't, I don't remember how it came up, but I mean, I think the idea, yeah, that we can actually like paint these things, right? That we can actually like mount them and, and they can serve as murals too, right? It's not just like this uh, device that, again, you plug into that's invisible, but that we make these things visible. And I think, again, I think that's part of like that whole disillusion of magic, right? Of like these devices that sit there that you don't know what they're doing, right? Because they mm-hmm. don't catch uh, the, 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 the signal cutting through them. Uh, and they're invisible. And, and we, we take them for granted, I think, because they're invisible, right? They're sitting on a rooftop. Uh, if you add something to it, maybe, you know, you might bring attention to it. Maybe you can uh, use them as another device to, uh, again, to, you know, to draw attention to somebody. I, I love the idea of naming devices after maybe local heroes, you know, that uh, do the human connection, you know, and maybe we can, uh, uh, you know, name a, a note after them because that's kind of what they serve, you know. So, yeah, I think there are some interesting ramifications. Uh, some of the young men that we're working with, they're building you know, video games into the PNK, these portable network kits, right, that are designed for uh, emergency, uh, like, deployment. And, and again, using it as a creative space, like these server spaces, right, where uh, typically there's a lot of data. You know, why can't we do other things with it? Why can't we, uh, you know, add music to it or add visuals to it? Or, or when we build a PNK out, create a whole cultural museum in there that if people are, you know, out of power for, you know, a couple of days and all they have is this PNK, and they want to learn about, you know, the Bronx is like this whole history lesson that comes into it. And, and, and yeah, so it's a tool and it could be. And I think that the more we demystify, right, touching these machines, right, like uh, travel is, you know, wireless boot camp. It was amazing watching people uh, try to connect these things. And, and even that little slight half an inch uh, to the left, you know, messes up your signal. And, and being in that space, you can do that. And again, demystifying what these devices do and owning them, you know, to a certain degree uh, is very powerful and is very needed. And I think it's going to be the way that's how I see, you know, I think that's how hip hop was kind of born, right? Somebody had access to it and they kind of took it left field and they said, this is what we're going to do with it. And now it's its own thing. And I think there's, there's a space for that. And I know people are doing it. I've seen it uh, with technology, uh, especially with wireless technology um, and, and communication technology, like, to be very creative and that's the space that personally i like to see it because uh, i think it has some more interesting ramifications but also because i think that there's uh you know that's where everything is going anyways right uh so we might as well start to be a part of this this burgeoning friggin' economy this burgeoning artistic movement that that uh lives in these spaces why not you know let me let me ask you more about the pnks so what i'm imagining in my head is you've got a number of teens uh, tough looking um, kind of kids raised in difficult circumstances. You're in a room and you have a, a suitcase with a bunch of networking gear in it that you're calling a portable network kit. Yeah. What, what exactly is happening here? Like, like, why is this, why is this interesting? Well, the portable network kit, if you could imagine, it's like a box, right? You, 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 uh, you can make it out of anything. Essentially you have a, a you know, router, you have your, your, your power, your antenna, um, and you have your raspberry Pi in there. And you want to make a connection between either two PNKs or, again, the larger net. And, um, and again, these are totally communication devices that are really designed, again, in case there is no internet. Or, again, you want to really create a, a mesh network that is secure, right? Because if I can have, uh, you know, two, two PNKs talk to each other within one server, then you're communicating, hopefully, uh, securely, but, again, one-on-one. And, uh, you know, so for us, it's like, if we can put this into the young people's hands, what would they do with it? Uh, you know, what would they build out of it? You know, and the guys that we have, they, they're not even tough looking, to be honest with you. They're kind of like, you know, <laughs> on the block. That's why they mess with the tech, right? Um, they're not that intimidating looking uh, per se. They may come from, you know, some interesting circumstances, but but they're definitely geeks. And, you know, and they're like, well, you know what? You know, we're gamers, you know, um, 
how does how do we turn this into a gaming device? That's what I wanted to hear too, because I just yeah. I feel like when you, when we describe places that are, are difficult to live, where people are yeah. you know maybe working all the time or not able to work, like you know like it's just you you generally picture these like you know these kids and you forget that they're kids, right? Like they're, yeah, yeah. they're all over the place, like in terms of yeah, interests yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and again, we attract. At the point we, you know, we're open to everybody, you know. So we get, you know, all kinds of young people from all kinds of walks of life, and obviously the ones that are attracted to this project are the ones that are like the gamers and the, you know, the guys that are up all night, uh, you know, building apps and stuff like that for fun. And really, you know, just because they want to experiment and or you know are interested in like cybersecurity, like like Reese is, uh, who's very heavily interested in that and, and securing everything. Like he's he's worried about everybody, uh, you know, trying to tap into our system the wrong way. But you know, realistically, right, like. Uh, this is not like a game for him. Like this is part of his passion and, and being able to come on again, provide a space for that. It's kind of impressive. It's important. I don't know if we really know the full ramifications of this project yet. It's going to probably play out. I think in a couple of years when we know where, where we see where these folks are and the rest of the folks are that are a part of the network uh, to really get a sense for how uh, this had an impact on them. But, but yeah, but you know, like that's the idea is that like, if you have access to something and if it's something that, you know, you can, uh, again, safely play with for a while, you will develop something interesting. And and I've seen, you know, with this team right now, they've developed two amazing apps that are are, are like key, I think, for how a PNK works. Because a lot of the stuff that, uh, when the PNK was developed, again, it's open source, right? So the people that developed the first iterations, you know, they don't ever you know, re-adapt uh, re them. They don't, they don't like upgrade these things. And so sometimes they stop working. So when we got the PNK, some of those apps that were in there, for like, let's say, uh, you know, messaging, um, some of the server spaces, again, they were kind of outdated. They weren't really functional. We couldn't really operate them. You know, the team has spent the last year building these things from scratch uh, so that they can have a version for us at least ready. And that again, they can offer to others. So now, so they created this thing called Echo uh, and, and Chat Echo. And it's friggin' amazing, of course. I don't even know how to put it to you. This is where they're going. Like, you know, being able to create hardware and software uh, that that lives with this portable network that becomes a part of our larger community network that's the nugget you know that's you know besides like what we're doing that's what's going to be like the, the game changer uh ultimately and uh and i want to give them all the credit i want them to you know i want to live i want them to live up to that that inventor uh title you know like i i want to push for that with them because they, they've invented something that is unique and i think if we went off to try to trademark it for what it's worth um, they can do that legitimately because it is built from scratch and and it is rather new and and that's the stuff that we want to see with this kind of project ultimately you know uh, it's not expected you know for, for mm -hmm. so let's let's wrap up with the discussion about some of the realities of this because you had two contradicting points earlier on in terms of the goal of just getting people online so they can you know be together we all we all dream that people are going to use the internet to like improve their lives and and be happier and things like that and then in reality you know like people uh they start developing unhealthy feelings about their body um yeah, you know yeah. and and obviously this happens from television too it's not unique to the internet but yeah, yeah media but clearly yeah. instagram is like having a major impact on specific um on young women in particular and um and so i'm curious like how do you how do you handle this when you have you know i think you've got people that are so hungry for internet access and you want to you know make sure that they're able to do it you don't want to lock it down but you also got to help them learn some skills and, and how to use it in a healthy manner so how do you how do you do that definitely yeah and that's where the digital steward uh training academy comes in and again i'm gonna give credit to to our folks at ctny and our folks from detroit digital justice network because they really planted in our minds this idea that like like what is the internet you know that was the question that they keep posing uh, very early on 
And we thought, okay, the internet, yes, da, da, da. And then as you came out, and they, as they keep posing the question, you kind of start to dig deeper, like what really is it and how do we really use it? And is it, and the question we've been posing within our group is, do we use the internet or does it use us, right? Because it got to that point where, you know, our data's being siphoned off, you know, it's being sold back to us. Like we're not fully even seeing the full internet, right? Based on what you're looking for. Like you might not even see a, a certain, uh, let's say link, because it doesn't fit into whatever profile, you know, somebody created for you, right? Some algorithm, right? In your account. Um, these are the things that we're questioning right now. And I think offering a space to create that question, what is the internet? And it's going to see people kind of question it and start to be critical about not only the internet as a, as a device and as a, as a system, but like their role in it. Uh, that's where it is. And again, it's not about like making people jump off the internet and, you know, reclaim it and say this is bogus, but really to create a space for dialogue and a critique of what it is, good or bad. You know, what is it? And creating that space, I think we don't offer too much of those spaces, right? You know, uh, people say you got access to the internet, great, you know, you're good, you know, you can do what you got to do. Uh, we rarely question what's going on. And I think more recently, we probably have been, uh, again, because of COVID and how much time we spend on these devices. And again, you know, these reports that we're seeing about uh, the health effects, uh, we, we should question it. So if I'm telling people, look, question, you know, uh, food, you know, how are you getting food, you know, in your system, you know, so we can do some urban farming and, and, and dispel that then this is kind of the same process. It's really just getting people to a, a basic, uh, you know, like a like a, a level zero, depending on where your skill level's at, and let's have this dialogue. And, and then for me, you do what you got to do. But I will say that I think that people that come to our digital stewardship training, uh, especially the young people, they probably walk out of there with a stronger sense of how to use it and how to use it responsibly and and what the effects potentially could be if you're if you're not really paying attention to it. And and that's all we can hope for, ultimately. Like I said, it's going to play out uh, at some point what the ramifications of that are and the results of that are. But, but you know, it's good to have that dialogue, especially when you're offering this, this internet. Like, yes, that double-edged sword, but we have to think that way. It's very important. Well, I think this has been a, a great dialogue in itself. Um, yeah, I really you. appreciate you coming on, sharing um, all the knowledge that you guys have built up, and and I'm excited. Uh, we're gonna hopefully find more ways to to have events together and uh, and share knowledge across these different communities. So um, I know that I, you know this already, but like folks in the uh, the Tribal Wireless Bootcamp loved hearing the examples of how you all are dealing with uh, building power and yeah. taking some of those ideas back and uh, and uh, just trying to get different communities together to see well they have so much in common. Yeah, likewise, likewise. And, you know, yeah, even all communities, I think this is the time to kind of think that way, you know, like where, you know, how, how are we a community and how do our communities uh, connect and how do we learn from each other? A very pivotal time. So thank you for this, uh, Chris, uh, and for the dialogue and for the continuous dialogue, you know, for always reaching out. Uh, appreciate you, bro. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. You too, man. Peace, bro. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. 
Thanks for listening.